Prime members. Yes, you. You can listen to Bryden and early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. There you are. I wondered when you turn up. Your finger's been hovering over the different podcasts you could choose. Yeah, should we do Bryden and? Should we do The Rest is Politics? Well, thank you for pressing my button and choosing this from the many thousands of podcasts that are available. Today on Bryden and we talked to Steve Pemberton, who I've known since about 2001, uh, League of Gentlemen, uh, so many other things, most recently Inside Number 9, which is wonderful and which I remind him in the course of our conversation I am desperate to appear in. I, I don't think that I'm any closer to achieving that, but I tried. We talk about uh, a lot about the early days of them up in Edinburgh and what it's like to be at the Edinburgh Festival with other people who at that point are unknown and then go on to become household names. Uh, he talks quite movingly about <clears throat> his father, who, who didn't want him to go into uh, a life of performance, but did live long enough to see them, uh, the boys winning the coveted Perrier Award for comedy at the Edinburgh Festival. It's a, a great chat. It's quite a long chat. I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, lie down, put on your eye mask and enjoy Bryden and Steve Pemberton. Hello. Hey, Steve. Oh, that's a that's a pleasing sight. Well, I'm glad you think so. I've been looking forward to this. I don't want you to feel any pressure, but I was <laughs> thinking, oh, I'm doing Steve. That'll be good. Yeah. And you've got Reese tomorrow. I have. And I've already done Mark. I mean, Jeremy must be quaking in his boots. He is. I know he is. Me and Reese always have this funny thing because we use the same um, hairdresser. Can we call it a hairdresser? Well, he's a hair. Yeah. And uh, whenever one of us goes in first, uh, and he asks all the questions, what are you up to? And the other one's like, what am I going to talk to the hairdresser about now? You've done it. So you are the hairdresser today. And I'm getting in first. I'm really pleased. Well, look, I'm not going to say that there's a that there's a pecking order in the way these interviews have been <laughs> arranged. But it's no coincidence that I've come to Pemberton first. Absolutely. The, in, right in the middle, the meat I'm, of the sandwich. And when I when I speak to Reese, I'll say, Reese, there is no pecking order, but there's no coincidence <laughs> that I've saved the best till last. Absolutely. Yeah. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Where are you? I am at home. I'm at home in my home office. You are minister for the home office and behind <laughs> you we can see DVDs, books. Yeah. Uh, it's a high-backed leather office chair. Yes. You're wearing, I think, possibly a denim shirt with with a comfy knit over yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you're very much towing the line there sartorially. You're not making any statements. You're saying, I'm, I'm a safe pair of hands. And yet, <laughs> Mr. Pemberton, I put it to you that your work has such a deep stream of... Affluent. Perversion and... <laughs> and, and, and swimming against the tide and saying the unsayable, what do you say to that? Um, absolutely. Well, I can get it all out in, in the work. So, you know, I can, I can dress, you know, my, my nickname at, um, at drama school where I, where I met Mark was Norman Normal. Is that true? Yes. Well, not, I say nickname. I mean, but two or three people called it to me because I had the most and still do, um, appalling dress sense or very little interest in how I presented myself but I used to wear these sort of supermarket jeans dreadful sort of uh, cut price Asda sweatshirts and I, I had no identity in how I presented myself and never have because I love playing the characters we've started by the way we've jumped straight in or Steve, are you it's, it's the way up? No, 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 this is the way Bryden rolls. Uh, Bryden just hits the ground with his guest. And if that guest isn't ready, well, hey, they're the loser. Absolutely. But you, you've slid into this with customary ease. Let me pick up on something that you said. It, it made yeah. my mind race. One. You said, yeah, I used to wear Asda jeans and her. And it reminded me that, and I think we often forget this, how we evolve. Yeah. There were always dandies at school. There were always kids that had a dress sense, you know, blah, blah, blah. But most people don't. And I can remember I would get my jeans at Burton's and yeah. I would get, I look back, there's just a normal, what I call the open prison look, you know, the sweatshirt. Okay. And I wasn't that. And, and then you start to evolve. And I can remember a time in my life when next for men was for me the height of sophistication. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think I got my first ever suit from Next, which was a kind of sludge brown affair. Because, and this is interesting, it was the first time I think we'd been to an award ceremony. We were invited to the South Bank Show Awards. And it may be the first time we ever met. Which year would that have been, Steve? Well, if I remember rightly, we, we were 
there for the League of Gentlemen. So that we, we're talking that, and that, and that debuted in 1999. We could have been for our live performance, which we'd done in Edinburgh, 96, 97. So sometime late 90s. And you were picking up, I think, a drama award for, for Marion and Jet. And we chatted about how that had been put into the drama category and ostensibly a comedy. It was that the first time we met? I think it might have been. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Um, And that would have been either 2000 or I I think that would have been 2001. Okay. And so that may have been, that's where I met Claire. That's where I met my wife. Although not, not that year. I think I met her the following year because the following year they invited I think the previous year's winners back. I may have presented one that year. I don't know. And that and, and that year, so so the year before I met you, uh-huh. and then the following year I met Claire and I met Elvis Costello the, the same day, which was pretty exciting. Well, the South Bank Show Awards, for those people unfortunate enough not to have been, you do get this very eclectic mix. So you're not just dealing with comedy people or television people. It's very refreshing. You can be sitting next to uh, an architect, an author, um, a pop star. I think the first time we went, I was sitting next to uh, the late, great Jack Rosenthal. Um, And he'd just written this play about uh, a boy from Blackburn who meets a girl from Cheltenham. I think it's called Eskimo Day. Yes, yes. Uh, but, and I was there with with my um, my partner Alison, who is from Cheltenham, and I'm from Blackburn. So we had a lot to talk about. But those awards, yeah, the best awards, because as you said, you meet all those people. So that's how, I, that's how I got to know you. Now, now you did you already know Julia? Did you know Julia Davis already? Um, very possibly from a party um had been to. So di- didn't know her. Um, I think it must have been through watching Human Remains, uh, which again, um, was... uh, yeah, that had gone out. That had gone out in the autumn of two thousand. But you knew David, didn't you? You knew David Williams. We'd met David and Matt in Edinburgh. So Edinburgh, we first went with the League of Gentlemen to Edinburgh in nineteen ninety six, and uh, just prior to that, we'd seen a couple of. And we we had no agent or backer or, or nothing. We'd taken ourselves up. No one knew who we were. And we'd seen a couple of preview shows, one of which was in Highgate's Jackson's Lane, uh, Matt Lucas and David Williams. And me and Reese went to see it and we thought, wow, why are we even bothering going to to do our little sort of uh, character pieces? It, they were so, so funny. Uh, I think Matt was doing Bernard Chumley at the time. And we didn't have the courage to go and speak to them. But when we were in the, the famed uh, Pleasance Courtyard in Edinburgh, um, you know, you're kind of, you go there, you don't know anybody, you're quite shy. And some people were very, very kind. Armstrong and Miller, very kind to us, gave us lots of nice advice. Mel and Sue, we met there and, um, and David and Matt. And, uh, yeah, we've been firm friends ever since. There's a mistaken belief. It's sometimes true that the comedy world is a catty world, but I, I think that more so, in my experience, it's a very supportive world. I think there's a kind of uh, almost a siege mentality of, of, you know, listen, very few people do this and it's not easy. And and I think people are very encouraging, mm. with some exceptions, but encouraging and supportive. And I think that people listening to this now, maybe they'll be, there's bound to be young people listening to this. 
because <laughs> it's my <laughs> podcast. No, they, they're going to be young people listening to this because they want to, you know, as I would have done when I was young, I want to listen to these people who've had some success. How do they do it? They find out. And to hear you saying that you went to see David and Matt and you, with everything that you've done since, thought, why would we, how could we ever go and do our thing is a lovely reminder of how uh, fragile a, a performer can be. Because to me, that's, I mean, crazy that, that, that you could see anything that would make you think that when you look at your body of work. Well, uh, well yeah, I mean, of course, you didn't have a body of work uh, <laughs> at that point. You were just, um, you know, we were four <laughs> relatively youngish. Um, well, I say young, I mean, we were sort of mid to late 20s. We'd been out of Bretton Hall where, where we met um, for a few years, auditioned for uh, children's theatre and, and not got the parts. And really, uh, yeah, we, we just had this friendship and this common sense of humour and this common um, goal to go and give it a, a, our best shot, really. And um, we never thought of ourselves as uh, as part of any gang or, or part of any group. So, but yeah, you know, you have no idea when you're taking a, some, a new show to Edinburgh how it's going to be received, especially if you don't have any hype, you don't have anything to put on your posters, you don't have any quotes you can use to, to bolster yourself. And we had three people in our first audience uh, in, in Edinburgh. And um, of course, because who's going to come and see this thing called the League of Gentlemen, which sounded like it's been lifted out of the Oxford Review or something, and, and we're all wearing bow ties and dinner suits on the poster. So... Um, yeah, we were nervous about that. But within those four weeks, our lives changed. It sounds dramatic to say it, but everything came about because of those four weeks, Edinburgh 1996. You make it sound like a rocky training montage. <laughs> was it like that? Was it like that? Was it, was it you start off, oh, you said, oh, Mark came in. He said, oh, we had three in last night. I'm not carrying on with this lark. And Reese said, it's not about you. We've got to carry on. We've got to keep on trying, haven't we? I'm doing Reese Shearsmith. And you said, come on, guys, we've got to believe in ourselves. And the next night, there were four people. Tell me about how it progressed, the word of mouth spreading around Edinburgh. Oh, you know, the, the, the high watermark for us was about show four or five, um, where we were getting to the 10, 15 mark. It only seated about 45 people. and um, But we'd had a review in The Scotsman. Uh, Four-star review, very good review, but it came early. And then we had a show and uh, Jeremy came because uh, he operated the lights and the sound. <clears throat> Jeremy, um, who, who didn't want to perform, and he came into the dressing room and said, Griff jones has just walked in. Oh, we wow. were open mouth. Um, we couldn't believe it. And at the end, he walked past Jeremy and he said, well done, wonderful show. And he just had this piece of A4 paper, which we gave out, which had, you know, our biographies. And he said, can I contact you via this? And he just went, yes. Of course, there was no contact details on there whatsoever. However, I did <laughs> then get offered after that, Edinburgh, uh, a sketch in Alas Smith & Jones, which I, I, I went to film and um, I had one line in this sketch. Did, did Ronnie Corbett come to that run of you up there? 
Um, he certainly came. I think maybe that was the, the year after. I can't remember. We only did it for two years. The first year we were there, 1996, uh, like I say, we had, we had no agent or backing. And we came away with a pile of business cards from producers, um, agents, people who were interested, who, who would give their cards to Jeremy on the way out. And we could not believe uh, how this was going for us. We, I remember making, because me and Reese shared, shared a flat uh, at the time. I think he may still have it. We made a board game to amuse ourselves when we were there based on Cluedo. And I think we must have been called Ed, Edinburgh Doe. And so you could be in the assembly rooms with the topical comedy. And we had, we had all the different uh, characters cut out. No, it was, the, it was the following year. This is the year where we'd established ourselves. And it was who was going to be nominated for the Perrier Award. You remember the Perrier Award and how did you were you yes, an Edinburgh yeah. alumni? Did you did you cut your teeth in Edinburgh? I didn't cut my teeth. I I I, I polished them because I um I only went there once I had a bit of a following. I, I did it in two thousand and either four and five or five and six. I think it was four and five. Right. I'd already had Marion and Jeff, Human Remains and the Keith Barrett show. Oh, I so see. I could sell out the you know the big rooms at so and so. So I, I kind of cheated and, and and I stayed in this gorgeous flat near uh, Harvey Nichols and I would have breakfast of so and so. You didn't do the, the proper Edinburgh experience. Um, no, we, we well, had I tell you what, I tell you what, I did the proper one. I did the proper one in an odd way, right? In in the mid late late nineties, about ninety seven, I was I used to do voices on a Radio Five show called The Treatment that David Quantic used to do and Jane Busman used to be on, um, and I met a lot of people via that. And we went to Edinburgh to do a show, and they had rented a, a standard flat uh, up there where there would be a bed for me to sleep in. And they had a party on the first night, and I wasn't a, really a drinker in those days, and it was. It wasn't a wild party, but my my standards, you know, it was the people sleeping. I, I, and I woke up the next morning. I couldn't go to sleep till four. I didn't like that. And I packed my little bag up, walked out around all these bodies of comedians and things and this, that and the other. And I walked from the, they were on the far end down past that hotel where Laurel and Hardy stayed. And then I walked all the way up to the, is it the Balmoral? What's that? What's the nice hotel near the station? The Balmoral. Yeah. I went into the Balmoral. I was already making money because I was doing a lot of voiceovers so I could afford this. And I said, hello, do you have any rooms, please? <laughs> and and I checked in there. And within an hour, I was sat by the pool in a fluffy bathrobe eating smoked salmon and scrambled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> How very un-Edinburgh of you, Rob. What a, what a cheat Edinburgh you had. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. 
fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. It was a brilliant time to be, to, to, to go there and just have all these experiences, like I say, in just four weeks. I remember the first year that they were, there used to be these uh, people coming around giving free packets of cigarettes away. You, you won't remember that. All you had to do is come up with a name and an address and you could, you could give a different one every two days. So for those four weeks, we all were smoking. Maybe not Mark, but all of us started smoking just because you could get free cigarettes. And then you would, you would, like I say, we, you, you'd get the, um, the brochure, the Edinburgh brochure that, that comes out and you would look who your biggest competition was. And, um, we made this game. We cut out faces of, uh, Parsons and Naylor. Do you remember Parsons and Naylor? And, um, yes, Johnny yes. Vegas was there, um, in 97. And, and we used to play this game and it was all about who you, you had to see who was going to win the Perrier award. And, and we put ourselves in the mix and sometimes we would win, sometimes we wouldn't. But we got nominated in 1997 against Graham Norton, Johnny Vegas, Milton Jones, and uh, Al Murray. Not Al Murray. Yeah, maybe it was Al Murray. Um, and, and we won. And it was the most astonishing night. And it was, I remember ringing my dad, um, who had pleaded with me really not to do drama uh, as a degree. Gosh. Because Gosh. I had, you know, I, I, I was doing languages as well at A-level. And he really, we had, I come from a background where we never went to the theatre. So there was, a, you know, this whole sort of notion of being an actor was, was never part of anyone's plan apart from mine. And um, just that moment um, where I could ring him and they used to do the, the ceremony after midnight, after all the comedian shows had finished. To be able to ring him that midnight and just say, Dad, we won it. And he was so excited and, and proud. And, um, yeah, sadly, he died in 1998. So this is the year oh. after we won. So oh. he knew things were, were on the up. And he knew we'd been commissioned by the BBC. And I've just never heard him so proud and, and so excited uh, as that. So, I'm, yeah, it was, you know, we've won many other things since. But that was... An incredibly special night, yeah. Well, Steve, two words, Billy Elliot. <laughs> I didn't have a tutu on, but... Um... Not a literal tutu, but Steve, I can't help thinking a metaphorical one. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I would have been dancing around Chorley, where, where I'm from, with, with my clogs on. Past one of the lovely things about... Um, about uh, Edinburgh is discovering people when nobody else knows them. And then all these years later, the thing I always say is one of the years I was there, I think it was the first year, 2004, I remember there was a BBC radio producer whose name I can't remember, but if I told you it, you'd know it. And he bumped in, Claire and I bumped into him in the street and he said, oh, I'll tell you what, you've got to go and see. And I said, what? He said, the flight of the Concords. 
Oh, wow. I said, I said, the what of the what? Because, you know, those words don't go together. I, I, the what? And he said, the flight of the, I said, well, what's that? He said, oh, they do these songs. I, oh, okay. And we went and saw them in these little kind of caves or something, you know, and, and oh my God. And of course they were just incredible. And that's a lovely memory of, uh, of Edinburgh. You saying that you made that board game to me just reinforces you four are just weighted down with creativity. I mean, you know, you could have been out shagging. No, you were making <laughs> board games about the bloody Perrier thing, right? And I, I mean, it's a, I say it in a flippant way, Steve, but I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good point because look at, look at you guys. You, you, my God, you've got so much creativity. And also all these years later, it's at the same level. You haven't, you haven't eased off at all. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Um, uh, we're just starting now to to write the ninth series of Inside Number Nine, and I can tell you, it's it's really getting hard. Uh, I mean, yeah, we we have <laughs> going for we we've made a series every year of of that show, you know, um, for the mm, past ten mm. years. Um, before that, we did Psycho Bill, and obviously before that, League of Gentlemen. Uh, which started yeah. live and then became radio and then TV. So yes, it has been pretty relentless. And I, I, I try to keep. I, I've got lots and lots of notebooks. You know, what you can see that some of them there behind me. And I, I, I've always kept ideas and jotted things down. And and I filled up these notebooks. And every year we do inside number nine. I go and see what what inspiration is still within the pages. And it's I've crossed most of it off. In fact, I've been I've been reading a lot about AI recently in the newspaper. So as an experiment, I thought I will go and see these things where you type in the beginning of a story and it can complete yeah. it for you. And it even has a thing yeah. saying add a twist. So I was showing it to Reese yesterday. I said, Look, maybe series nine will go the AI route. Just put give us an inside number nine idea, give us a twist. We'll give you the basics, fill fill in the gaps. Yeah, I mean, it does get harder and harder. I don't think you coast the you know, the later you go in your career because you wanna keep up that that level that, that you started at and it's hard. Well, you know how much I love inside number nine and every time I see you, I run into you at things. Maybe I'd say I see you about three or four times a year, I would say. Mm. Uh and I always do a little pitch for myself and and I say I watch inside number nine and I see many of my friends <laughs> popping up in it and I say the one thing I notice is I've yet to have the call and and uh, do I now get to the point where I have to give you the actual story idea it's it's a middle-aged yet youthful Welsh man uh -huh. uh, dressing like a mid-period Bruce Springsteen and he's got something of Bruce about him not just Springsteen but Forsyth and he goes away for the weekend to a wellness retreat, let's say that. And while he's there, something dark and strange happens. But but the main thing is that that middle-aged Welsh guy is in it a lot. Now, could you do something with that? Um, well, people are always very happy to give us a setting. They're very happy to give us, you know, the, the first 90 seconds of the show. Um, 
Yes. Of course we could do something with that. A wellness, yeah, wellness place. We haven't done that before. That's that's a good that is a good setting. But you need twenty eight right. more pages okay. of story. Um no, I've that's, touched that's this where week. chatbot GTI comes in. Exactly. Uh, no, I, uh, I, I've said before, we've, we always have to be in it, me and Reese. So the characters yeah. who are, you know, middle-aged men, we tend to just cherry pick those for yeah. ourselves. Uh, even listener, not- let me tell you, listener, th- this is this is what he's fobbed me off with on many occasions. It's it's very much along the lines of, oh, Rob, Rob, we would love you, but we write this part and we think Rob, and then of course it's got to be either me or Reese. It's just we are, oh, and I hear this three or four times you a do. year, and 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 I shuffle back home to Claire. She'll say, did you see Steve today? Did you see Reese? Well, yes. What did they say? No, they 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 gotta play they gotta play those parts themselves. And then she says, Oh come here, love and she she envelops me and, and pats my head. Well let me ask you which of the episodes you would have liked to have been in. Where, where do you where do you watch it and go, I see myself in that role? The one with the bill in the restaurant. Yeah. I know you were Jason. I could have played Watkins' part. I, yeah, I could have played his part. I yeah. could have played uh, Morrissey's he was in that. No, a Glenister was in that, wasn't he? Glenister, yeah. I could have played his part. Um, I could see you more in the world control. With, with All right, fine. He's yeah. so good with, with the little... He folded up his five-pound note to shove it to the bottom of, of the wallet. He was brilliant. Yes, yes, oh. yes. We can, all, we can all fold money. We can all find little bits of business. But <laughs> we have to be in the bloody thing to start with. Okay. 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 I, was, I was chatting to Jason on by text just yesterday he's had enough attention from me recently we could all find little things to do but we have to be in the damn thing first steve and i feel okay. that i'm not being given the opportunity i'd say that as a challenge and you know we love a challenge on inside number nine not that it would be a challenge to work with you we would love that we would make that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah okay i'll bear it in mind all right. You said that you started out doing um, the the gentleman live, then it went radio. Now you are going to be uh, at the Duke of York's theatre. Now who who appeared? Steve Pemberton for two points. Who appeared at the Duke of York's theatre with the play American Buffalo in around about nineteen eighty three or nineteen eighty four? Who was it? David Mamet play American Buffalo, the Duke of York's theatre. Who was it? Steve Pemberton. I remember. Well, I know the play American Buffalo because I was in it at Bretton Hall, and this it's, it's a three hand. Who did you play? Who did you play, Steve? Who did you play when you were in it? I played the young kids. There's one called Teach, and there's an That's old right. guy who, who who runs a sort of coin. Uh, he, he yeah. And there's a younger. And I can't remember the character's name. Let me give you a clue as to who played in this. They played the lead role. Ready? Yes. Oh. It's a buffalo, but it's American. (laughs) Amazing. It can only be Al Pacino. I thought you were going to go for a comedy thing. You were going to say, was it Don Estelle? But you didn't. You went, (laughs) yeah, Pacino. He played at the Duke of York. So when you are are doing it, this new thing, you're going to have the spirit. I mean, he's still with us, thank God, at the time of recording. You're still going to have the spirit of Pacino there. Tell us about the play. Well, it's a play called The Pillar Man by Martin McDonough. Um, And one of his... He knows what he's doing. Uh, one of his first plays, um, a lot of people will know him uh, latterly as, as you know, an amazing screenwriter and director. 
Banshees of Inishirin is, is uh, going to clean up at the awards this year. Three billboards in Bruges. But um, he has many, many uh, plays that he's written. This is one of his earliest. It was done at the National Theatre, I think about 20 years ago it was done at the National. But it's never been uh, revived in the West End. So it's um, it's a it's a sort of dystopian dark comedy where uh, a writer uh, is accused of... Um, there's been some murders happening, murders of children, and the uh, these murders are echoed in, in the writer's work. So two policemen uh, are inter- detectives are interrogating this writer to see if there's any correlation between the real murders of children in real life and the murders of children in the work. And um, it's blisteringly funny. It's so, so dark. Um, but he also has a lot to say about, um, you know, the, the right to uh, write what you want and say what you want and, and censorship and all oh, of that stuff, yeah, which makes yeah, it... Yeah very relevant to today so it's um i'm really nervous about it but looking forward to doing it who do you play um i play uh one of the detectives um whose name is chapolsky and uh the writer uh was originally played by david tennant in in the first production of the national and uh they have now gender swapped the role so it's going to be taken by lily allen um who i meeting her next week with any luck and um yeah so i don't know anyone else who's going to be in it now but uh myself and lily allen well lily has a lovely house with david harbour in uh, there was just a video online you should look this up the architectural digest visited okay. her and david i think it's brooklyn oh my god it's uh so uh, if nothing else steve you'll get interior design uh tips perfect Perfect, because I could do with like like with my dress sense, I could do with you know a little bit of help in that regard. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to challenge that. Um, <laughs> you, you, I left I left a pause for the laugh, and thank God it came. Um, <laughs> but you're going to be at the Duke of York's. You know when you do these, and there's a slight delay. Sometimes you've got to have such confidence. If you try and say something witty, you've just got to have the confidence to wait for the for the line to be delivered to you. Yeah, and there is a deafening silence while that's happening. But you, Steve, let me pick you up on this. You're doing the play at the Duke of York's Theatre. That's in London, uh, the capital of of Britain, from the 10th of June to the 2nd of September. Now, my first reaction to that is, that's your whole summer. Yes, it is the whole summer. But, you know, um, it was meant to happen in 2020. And uh, obviously, Mm -hmm. COVID put pay to that. And... Um, they then, uh, there's been so much theatres cancelled, so many shows that were jostling for the slots that became available. And it's been a long time uh, we've been waiting to get it on. So I wasn't going to argue with that. Um, I'm going to, yeah, yeah, you know, I had a great summer last year where I kept myself free. I was offered another play last summer. How, how, does, how does Mrs. Pemberton feel about about this? She's she's okay with it. Yeah, she's going to she's going to um, take her. We're going to go away in Easter, and um, yeah. we'll you know we might go away at Christmas. So yeah, you you know you're an actor. You you got to roll with it, haven't you? But this is um, this is a three month run, which is pretty standard for the West End. Um, mm. It's a brilliant play, a brilliant role, and I'm pretty choosy about what theatre I do. I wouldn't want to be working every summer. But as you get to a certain stage in your career, you do want to, 
you, you can afford to say no to things and you can afford to be picky. So what age are the three children that you claim to have fathered? <laughs> they are 22, 19 and 17. Ah, that's interesting. Okay. So in other words then, so are, are you still doing the family summer holiday thing? Uh, yes, we cannot shake them off. They definitely uh, want to come away with us. So uh, They get a higher standard of holiday if they go where mum and dad are going than if they go off their own bats. Pretty much. But then they also want the uh, to do their own holidays and for to tap into the uh, the bank of mum and dad for that as well. Yeah, we've... we've uh, we enjoy going away together. I've got a brother who lives in uh, in Dubai, and um, we all went at Christmas. There were twenty of us, all went from my family, my mum, wow. my brothers, and um, cousins, nieces, nephews, and we have a whale of a time on on holiday together because no one's in. Well, my brother lives there, but you know, you're all away from home. You're all in holiday mode, and uh, the kids all get together. So, yeah, they're very very precious times going on holiday and uh mm. it, I, I was a little bit worried about the whole summer holiday thing but now now that we're not so locked into the school you know school holiday stranglehold that they have there's other things we can do yeah okay that's the decisive part of the argument because for me my youngest are still 14 and 11 I, i'm really i try and keep every half term free yeah. Every, um, all the summer holidays, you know, I'm quite lucky. I, I can try and structure my year. But now what's happening is the 14-year-old says, we say, hey, we're, go we're going away for half time. He goes, oh, what? Well, I never get to see my friends. Where, where are we going? <sighs> you know, and I'm touring Australia and they're coming out to see me afterwards. What? What, for the whole of the, oh, God. What are you talking about? You're going to Australia. You're going to New Zealand. This is, you know, they <laughs> they just moan. But I, I tend to... um. I tend to keep those. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to once they've left home to doing theatre and, and 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 doing stuff like that. But you're you're at that age. To be fair, your kids are at the age uh, that I would be. You you speak German. You speak French. You did the brilliant German character in, um, in League of Gentlemen. You had such a. I mean, it's a dull old question about where do these things come from, Steve. But I do I do want to know. What what do you see as you're going about your daily life and what do you see that makes you go, oh, I could be, I sometimes see someone in the street and I go, oh, I could, I could play him. I, I could, I could look a bit like him, right? How much is your, is your radar on, on a daily basis? Um, well, like I say, I do, I do make notes of things so we are constantly reese and i going around muswell hill where we write going could that be a number nine and we'll pass a couple of very odd looking people and you're not sure if they're mother daughter two sisters or what they are right <laughs> we right right, right. the cross-dressing thing for a long time since league of gentlemen now but um and any anyone could be a, a great character and it's usually Usually starting from the writing point of view, I mean, you talk about the character of um, Herr Lib, which uh, we, we did in League of Gentlemen, and that was Reese's wife, Jane, was working at um, Les Mis backstage, and um, there was someone there from Duisburg, and he was quite calm, quite a calm character, and he used to bemoan the fact that he was the only queen in Duisburg, and the only queen in Duisburg, 
And it was that combination of Queen and Duisburg, but also a camp. <laughs> you don't associate German with, with camp. And so we, this became a little catchphrase. I'm the only queen in Duisburg. This is before the only gay in the village. And um, yeah, 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 yeah. So that it was that little nugget and it sticks with you and you think, all right, that's maybe we could do a character. Maybe he's called hair lip. And maybe when I do it, I'll, I'll put a piece of sellotape across my top lip and, yeah, and yeah, have this yeah. sort of rather weird sort of gummy thing. And yeah, I you can't pinpoint where these characters come from exactly but it was it was being playful i suppose um i think sometimes it's just a sound you know that it's it's a strange thing but i i used to do i used to be a radio presenter in wales in the uh mid to late 90, 80s late 80s up to about 91 and i used to do a character on that who was a camp german but i find a camp german voice to be very pleasing i i, I aside of it being comic i just I like I like the sound of this sort of talking like this in a sort of gentle, sort of very sensitive way, you know. And I, he was called Conrad. His name was Conrad <laughs> Bolivar, right? And I used to do him on a show and he had a song and he would go, Conrad. I mean, it's all stupid stuff. I'm not claiming for a second that this is wonderful, right? But you go, Conrad Bolivar, Bolivar, Bolivar. And he had an uncle called Klaus who was very sinister. And I would play him and he would go and we'd play the Romeo and Juliet music. Duh, 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 duh. And he'd go, I'm looking for Conrad. Have you seen him? <laughs> and, and he would be very pantomime-like. Yeah. But if you ask me where that came from, I can only think that it came from, because I bet you're like me, I bet you love the music of a voice. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. I bet you notice things in voices like I do. And I'll bet you sometimes tell people that are not performers or creators and they look at you like you're mad. They look at you like, no, I had a tennis guy, a tennis teacher once who sounded just like Gordon Ramsay. He had the same clipped, almost military rhythms of Gordon Ramsay. And I said, oh God, people must tell you this all the time. He said, no one has ever, ever said it to me. But I'll bet you're like that. You yeah. hear, you hear things. Well, definitely. I mean, I always used to think do, doing uh, languages, uh, which I only did to A level standard. But if you could get the musicality of of the um, the way that the, the language worked, um, then it's a lot easier to speak it. Even if you are struggling to get the word, the word will come to you. Um, and it's a really weird thing. I can't explain that. Uh, if if I was, uh, you know. When you Deutsch sprechen, I mean, I haven't spoken it since I was 18, but um, there's something that's just in there. And if I can get into the mindset of how it sounds and the music of it, the words might come to me. And it's just these weird connections that your brain makes. Um, doing characters for the League of Gentlemen, of course, we were we were three actors playing multiple characters in the same show. So you really want to differentiate and you really want to push vocally. We do it a lot less on Inside Number Nine, and I've quite enjoyed doing a lot more, you know, characters that are more closer to me and, and just with my voice and not trying to push and strain to create. We've played over 100 characters, at, you know, over the three shows we've done, so I'm not so much pushing to do that anymore. But in The League of Gentlemen, it was so important that every character, visually and audio, you, they had a distinction. So, okey dokey, pig in the pokey. Somebody used to have this teacher at school who used to chew her. Mm. 
Mrs. Dowding used to chew her lips. Right. Mm. And then pop. What are you talking about? All the and there was this thing Bernard Manning used to do and he was hot and he used to do this thing to get the sweat off his face and drag his hand down. So you draw on all these little things that you can think about. Um and you try and make the characters extreme in a way. That's what we were doing in League of Gentlemen. But like I say, now I've, I've pulled back from that now, and I'm quite happy now, if I can, to do quite a naturalistic performance. Because you've been in dramas and stuff where you've, you know, you've come from that comedy world, and suddenly you're going into a drama where people are barely moving their lips, and the directors are always going, "Great, Steve, but can we just?" <laughs> And this this is the sort of thing I've come to dread when I'm on another show is just can you try and be a, a real person? And then you kinda of go, What what does a, a real person how how does someone walk across a room? How do you I don't know. Yeah, I've so. I've spoken to I've spoken to um I've just finished a seven month shoot on a on a thing and it's uh it's a sort of drama comedy romp kind of thing. And um yeah, that that thing of keeping it small for the camera—it's a real challenge when when you are used to playing to audiences. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I feel I did that in Marion and Jeff, and I did that in Human Remains. But I, I, if I'm being honest, I can find it very difficult to trust myself enough. Mm-hmm. It almost feels impolite. It almost feels like I'm not giving them anything. Exactly. You know? Do you do you do you recognize that? Uh, totally, yes. Because you you just want me to kind of very blandly say the line, not 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 do much with my face, not gesture, not give you a, a little uh, sort of tweak of this character or, or a little uh, box of tricks. They used to say when me and Mark were doing drama, oh, you were here with your box of tricks because you would try and give a, every character something to make them memorable. And I'm not. Ta- I mean, when I did um, a tiny part in um, what's that play? The Taming of the Shrew played the pedant, and um, my God, I had an asthma inhaler. I had my shirt tail <laughs> up and through my flies. I made sure my jacket was two sizes too small. I had a. Hat. I had everything <laughs> within it and a butterfly net, because you know. A- <laughs> The famous Victoria Wood sketch where they're giving notes on Hamlet. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, you're not on long. Make your mark. I don't think it's too... <laughs> Make your mark. And that's what I was used to doing. And uh, so it is weird to find yourself doing a scene across a table with David Morrissey when he's doing his really incredibly small performance. And you're like, oh, God, you can do this? You can just talk normally. So I think I've got a bit better at that, but it's taken a long time. To all my foot, back, and knee pain sufferers, this one's for you. Check out G-Defy, a modern footwear company on a mission to relieve knee, back, and foot pain. Every pair comes with two free custom orthotics to align your body perfectly. And their patented VersoShock trampoline technology in the heel absorbs harmful shocks and provides positive, renewed energy empowering you to tackle your day. Don't just take my word for it. Read the countless customer reviews raving about the pain relief and amazing comfort they have experienced with G-Defy shoes. 
Experience pain-free living for yourself and visit gdefy.com, that's G-D-E-F-Y.com, and use code PODCAST30 to receive $30 off your order of $100 or more. I'll tell you a really good example of that. Um, in about 1991 or two, I was the presenter of a film review show on Sky that was called Exposure. And each week, we would give you a rundown of the films that were coming out that week. And then we may interview the actor. And we'd always be in a different location. And great excitement. Right, we're going to Morocco. And we're going to go on the set of a new Robin Williams film. Imagine that. Yes. And it was called Being Human, right? And it was a Bill Forsyth film, Being Human. <clears throat> it didn't do very well, but we went out there and I got to observe Robin Williams filming a scene, okay? Wow. And it was in a, in a studio and they'd mocked up uh, as if he'd been shipwrecked on a beach and they had built a tent. And he's in the tent filming this scene with a, a British actor. So we couldn't see them, but we could hear them. We were all gathered outside beyond the cameras, obviously. And you'd hear the British actor. The thing is, we're here on this beach, something like, we're here on this beach, and if we're going to get out of here, we've really got to get a plan together. Well, we can get a plan, but I don't know how <laughs> this might not be done. Well, you may well say that, but <laughs> unless we do something, we'll hurt it. Well, I don't know. And that was the time that really brought it wow. home to me, the two different styles. But it's very, I find it very hard. And, and, and on the thing I've just done, we were filming a scene. I finished on it two days ago. And we were shooting a scene then. And one of the actors, Will Keane, wonderful actor, was, was doing some stuff. And I, I was thinking, oh, God, look at that. Oh, he's very, oh, that's lovely. That's going to be great on camera, isn't it? And then I pictured perhaps what I'd been doing, old muggins here, you know. <laughs> Where's my butterfly net, as you say? It's um, it's it's a but it's a but it's a funny adjustment. But then I would say, okay, but Will's not going off and doing live shows, and you know, having to make that, having to make that adjustment. I think yeah, you are very lucky if you get to to be in both camps, and and you know, we. Both have had those opportunities, doing live stuff, yeah. doing doing uh, comedy. Yeah. I mean, doing a live comedy show, especially when you're coming off the back of TV exposure, is so extraordinary and such a release and such fun. I mean, when we did our first League of Gentlemen tour, this is in the pre, you know, before Twitter and the days where you could find out what people thought of you for good or, or ill yeah. uh, immediately. <laughs> You can't, you know, we had some reviews and, and we had nice things said about it, but it wasn't until we took it on tour and uh, me and Reese kind of rose up from the ashes of the local shop and we were we were suspended with angel wings rising from this smoking thing. And the, the reaction that those characters got was so moving. And then you look out and you see people dressed as those characters. Yes. I, it it yes. was so incredible. But you have then a freedom because you have that, um, the audience are there to see you. They're there to see the character they know from the TV. And and if something goes wrong where you forget your lines or you make a mistake, it's not like in a play where that is a, an embarrassment. Mm. In a comedy show, that's a gift. And um, yeah, so it's very hard yeah. to then 
go into something where you need a lot more discipline and you need to put a lid on all that stuff. But we're very, very lucky to do, be able to be in dramas, to be in comedies and have variety. I mean, I think you talk about all, all the different things that we've done. It's that variety that I really love and uh, why I suppose I've enjoyed playing multiple characters, why I've enjoyed doing an anthology series and why I've enjoyed one day being you know, in Britannia playing Emperor Claudius on the back of an elephant with piles and Tourette syndrome, which, you know, there was no doing a there was no that <laughs> with that performance. It was <laughs> it was all guns blazing. And then the next thing I did was was playing Tony Martin uh, in, in a, an interrogation thing for uh, Channel Four, where it had yeah, to be yeah, word yeah. for word at what he had said, because it was a transcript of the police interview with him. And yeah. so it had to be very, very real and, and small. And I love the fact that one week I'm doing this riding on a pretend elephant and the next week I'm in a, a studio with just one other actor opposite me doing a tiny thing. And then I can go and do a play. I can do a musical. I can, you know, I'm not saying I've, I've done everything I want to do, but if it all ended now, I'd be pretty happy. Okay, it's, it's not all going to end now. What about... Um... Have you done much, I don't know if you have, much front-of-camera stuff, much presenting things, much uh, Steve Pemberton's Guide to the Lakes or, or something like that? <laughs> no, I haven't. What I've done is quite a lot of uh, quiz shows, which I love. I love, I've always avoided the panel show, try and be funnier than the person next to you, Um there's plenty of there's plenty of people who do them very well, and as you know, I resisted coming on to um, uh, Would I Lie to You for the longest time because I, I didn't know if I would if I would be well suited on that show, and I just did the the series that the most recent series because my mum is the number one fan, and I was able to bring it to the <laughs> studio, and she got in the show. She got a, a mention from Moxie Mabuse and was was featured <laughs> it. Um, so I made her day and I really enjoyed that. Um, so I think as I get older, I just think who gives a fuck what if people are going to judge you or, or think you were very funny there or, I mean, I always put the characters I was playing front and center. That was always my thing for the League of Gentlemen. I thought I never want people to be thinking about, oh, it's that guy who I know quite a lot about him. So I always really craved that anonymity as Steve Pemberton, never did lots of interviews, was always very shy about social media. And I still have a lot of that. But now as I get older, I think I, if I get offered something and I quite fancy it, yeah, why not? Why not do it? But I've always kept myself fairly private. And I think it allows people then to only see the character. Whereas I think if you have too much of a profile, it can, it can go against that. Do you know what I mean? It, it it does. The only thing that works uh, against that is that audiences now are so fragmented. Uh, I've felt that with some of the stuff I've done. I mean, I've from from hosting shows to advertising cruises to the this to that. But what you find often is that there are a lot of people who don't even know you do that because they 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 only kind of that's my experience is mm -hmm. that they they kind of well, we're looking at that kind of stuff. Oh, I didn't know you did that as well. Yeah, and then you love the people over here. Who go? Yeah, well, he's just the bloke who 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 does that. And I've found it very interesting 
to watch actors get older and to start to enjoy other things, whether it's Richard E. Grant wanting to present a show about writers around Europe or or hotels or or and 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 in, I think as you get older, you look at it more as a life experience. And yeah, I want to go and do that. I want to go and experience that. Um, I don't think you've tired of acting, though, have you? I don't think that there's any part of you. I think you seem to still enjoy the act of getting up at the crack of dawn and schlepping into makeup and sitting around for hours on end, which which it often involves. Yeah, I absolutely do. And and some what I love about this job, and I don't have a plan. I don't have a, a career, five-year career map in front of me. I love the fact that you get one phone call and something you'll find yourself doing something extraordinary. <laughs> And I, you know, last year I, I um, got a call. I did a Zoom meeting with a director and ended up going to Australia to film um, a film called Better Man, which is the life story of Robbie Williams, uh, in which I had to do a little bit of singing and dancing. And I, and I was filming <laughs> in Australia. I met Robbie. Um, we were, uh, you know, doing, it, it's a musical. It's directed by Michael Gracie, who did The Greatest Showman. You know, he's a brilliant musical oh. director. It's 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 a big movie. You know, it's uh, and that came about uh, because uh, someone else in the cast had seen one of the episodes of Inside Number Nine, Bernie Clifton's dressing room, where Reese and I played an old double act, and they thought that my that was a brilliant episode. Let me just say, I've told you that myself before, but let's say it for the record: that was glorious. Well, thank you. It was it was a real treat to do, and. Um, I think I I got more and more into writing. I've always thought, well, performance-wise, I'm not I'm not as interested. Reese loves the performance. I I love the writing. I love crafting these stories, and to me, that's where you've almost done the performance in the writing. So you've almost created it. You so when he gets to filming it, you can feel sometimes like, well, I've already been through the creative excitement of this in in writing it and the performance side of it. I can not take it or leave it, but the, the writing is where I get very excited. But in that particular one, because we were recreating these old comedy acts, we had to come up with some sort of trad comedy routines. And it was just the two of us, and it was a very emotional piece as well. I absolutely loved doing that. But it was a result of this episode. The director watched it and offered me this role in, in this movie. And I loved the fact mm. that on a, on a Monday, I knew nothing about it. But on a Friday, I was flying to Melbourne. And, um, and you know, I, it'll be out towards the end of this year. And I think it'll be a, a fantastic movie. And then you don't know where that might lead to. You have no idea. Yeah. I, mean, I love the randomness of it all. And are you playing Robbie at all stages of his life? Or or just, just in the Angels, Rock DJ? <laughs> I mean, what, what, what do you... What are you, which are, which, what what you know which Robbie are you are, are you like because you know Austin Butler played Elvis yeah. right the way through are, are you taking that approach to I'm, it I'm I'm the take that years um, right okay oh, yeah okay okay naked writhing in jelly uh, yeah yeah you know yeah. early stuff yeah but 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 seriously because some will believe you <laughs> who do you play in it can you say I, I probably can say I um, I'm playing his dad his dad. Um, Pete, um, who was uh, who was also an entertainer, wasn't he? That's right. And, and Robbie credits you know spending time. He was a holiday camp entertainer, 
and um, he used to do um, the, the Butlins or whatever they were, um, constantly uh, being song, a joke, a dance. And then in the daytime, you're the character who goes around who's got a quip for everybody. So and Robbie wow, used to wow. talk about going to visit his dad um, on, on these holiday camps and just the, the magic of seeing him uh, turn out these, you know, luck be a little night, and then a little quip and a joke. So I, I, it's it's a it's a great role. I really really enjoyed it. Um, and in the movie, Robbie, the character of Robbie is portrayed um, as a monkey, CGI monkey, but a so very what? realistic. Yes, I know. A lot of people find it hard to get their heads around that. It made sense to me. Um, he, it, you know, the people who did Planets of the Apes and that very very realistic monkey so it's not going to be a cartoon curious george kind of monkey um but there's something very vulnerable about the little seven-year-old chimp robbie and he's he is robbie everyone yeah. else is human he's yeah. a monkey and yeah. then he, he gets older you've got that thing of being a performing monkey you've got that thing yeah. of um having the monkey on your back which is depression and he was very yeah. uh, truthful about his struggles it's a very very yeah. um uh dark film in many ways um, Can I ask a question? Is is what you just said true, or is that your dark, offbeat humour? It's true. It's true. I mean, it's out there. Robbie is Robbie. Robbie is a monkey. Yes, yes. Called Robbie Williams, <laughs> and he joins Take That, and the, they 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 did some. He, Robbie, actual Robbie, did a concert in uh, in Melbourne, and yeah. um, the boys who were playing Take That uh, were part of this concert. Um, so that in the middle of, of this concert, the stage right rises up, and uh, you've got uh, four brilliantly fit uh, dancing, singing uh, young men in their twenties playing the Take That Boys, and then you've got one guy in a grey cat suit with a camera attached to his head, dots all over, who will be made into a singing, dancing monkey, and the audience didn't have a clue what was going on. But honestly, trust me, it's going to be. <laughs> It's going to be amazing. All right. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve, uh, thanks for doing this. Oh, the lovely, lovely, lovely. I love talking to you. Massive fan. And I always love it when we get to see each other and spend a few brief moments in each other's company. Oh, well, I loved it too. And thank you for letting me be your ampersand of the week. Um, I assume you'll do some <laughs> kind of big, big sort of pre pre-interview you know explanation of who i am and what i've what i've done or is are we going is, in i'll i'll i recorded an intro for you have you well, before that's... we spoke for the for the youtube version and then i record i record the the uh, podcast audio uh one afterwards because i know what we've spoken about and i can say we talk about this we talk uh, yeah. about that which seems to be the the way they do it in podcasts and who am i to buck the trend. Um, well, I'm going to, as Barry Cryer would say, I'm going to give you back your day. And uh, I, what a delight. Say hello to your mum for me. Um, I know she's uh, she's a big fan of mine. And um, is. Let, let's hope it's not too long before our paths cross. Middle-aged Welshman goes to wellness retreat. Something happens. Somebody gets killed. Who did it? Who didn't do it? You can have Jason Watkins in as well if you want.
but let's make it happen. Okay, I'm going to plug into that AI. I'm going to feed all that in and we'll see what happens. Thanks what, so much, Steve. What a treat. Thanks, Rob. See you soon. Cheers. Let's Bye. Bye. Prime members. Yes, you. You can listen to Bryden and early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Bryden and is produced by Talent Bank and executive produced by Rob Bryden. He does such a vital job in collaboration with Wondery. Don't forget to check out our bite-sized video cast on YouTube.